You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there's a story of an author named Robert Louis Stevenson when he was a young boy. When this author was a young boy, uh, he lived at a time when the streetlights were not electric and they didn't come on by themselves. They had to manually be lit. And people were hired, these lamp lighters, to light each street lamp. And so one night, the lamplighters were doing their thing. They're climbing their ladders, and they're opening up the glass, and they're lighting the torches and closing the glass and coming down the ladder and moving on to the next. And this whole process was mesmerizing for a young boy. And so his parents walk in, and they see him just glued to the window, just staring. And they come to him, and they ask, and they ask him, what, you know, what are you doing? What's so interesting outside? And his response was this. It's childlike and yet extremely profound. He said, look, they're punching holes in the darkness. They're punching holes in the darkness. Today, and for the remainder of this month, what I want to invite you, us, as a community to do is to come to the window and to pause and stare through that window and Behold in wonder what God is doing in this world. What is God doing in this world? Well, Advent helps us to actually answer that question. He is punching holes in the darkness. And this is the picture that's really going to frame this Advent season for us as we walk through this theme of the arriving light. The arriving light. But before we get into John's gospel, what I want to do is I want to just briefly explain Advent, why we do what we do, and what it is that we do. Um, What is Advent, and why do we participate in it? Well, Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, which simply means the arrival, or the coming of something. Advent is really the church's annual reminder that there is something coming. Something's coming. In a world that demands instant gratification, that wants its whatever it is now, we do this really, really strange thing. We actually pause and we lean into patience. And we acknowledge that the life of maturity is not a life of instant gratification. It's actually a life of waiting. And we acknowledge that while we are so extremely blessed, that the best is actually yet to come. That the future is bright for those who trust and wait and hope. And so every year, Advent is an invitation for us as a community to still all of our busyness while the world is, is like an overdrive right now. Go, 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 go. Do, 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 do. The church says, whoa, 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 cool your jets there, Turbo. Let's, let's settle into stillness. Let's come patiently look through the window of God's love and his redemption and recapture our lost wonder together. 
And how we do this, it's sort of twofold. We do this by looking back and we do this by looking forward. This is always the posture of the Christian life. We do this by celebrating the light that's come into the world through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that first coming, the the birth narrative of Jesus that is so famous around the Christmas time. But there's also a second dynamic. We actually look forward in anticipation to Christ's return when the light of God through Jesus Christ will radiate where the light of God will be so bright that there will no longer be a need for a sun. And so we, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to remember and celebrate and, and also anticipate over this next month by walking through the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, if, and you probably noticed this as it was being read, the Gospel of John begins in the same way that the entire Bible begins, by God bringing light into a dark And a chaotic world. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God speaks, light appears. But we find something unique in John's creation account. God's word that is spoken into the darkness isn't simply language. It's not simply coherent breath or a command or some sort of theoretical argument. God's word word of light is none other than God's own eternal son, Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what this tells us is that Christianity doesn't just simply give us words. Christianity doesn't just simply give us good ideas. It gives us God himself. And this is key. The core of this message is not just what God says and not just what God does and not just what God offers. It's him. At the heart of the gospel is God. Let me say it this way. Jesus is the good news. No greater gift could heaven give to us than God's own son, Jesus Christ. And John says in verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of man. In him. Life is not found in an idea. Life is not found in the next human breakthrough. Life is not found in technological advance. Life is not found in a set of principles and belief. Life is not even found in a religion. Life is found exclusively in the person of Jesus Christ, which means that the key to finding life is not found on a journey of self-discovery, and the key to finding life is not found on a religious pilgrimage. It's found by looking to Jesus. The life and the light that's come for you. John Calvin once famously said, We see that our whole salvation and all its parts are comprehended in Christ. We should therefore take care not to derive the least portion of it from anywhere else. If we seek salvation, we're taught by the very name of Jesus that it's of him. If we seek any other gifts of the Spirit, they will be found in his anointing. Going on to say, if we seek strength, it lies in his dominion. If purity in his conception, if gentleness, it appears in his birth. For by his birth, he was made like us in all respects that he might learn to feel our pain 
If we seek redemption, it lies in his passion. If acquittal, in his condemnation. If remission of the curse, in his cross. If satisfaction in his sacrifice, if purification in his blood, if reconciliation in his descent into hell, if mortification of the flesh in his tomb, if newness of life in his resurrection, if immortality in the same, if inheritance of all blessings in his kingdom, if untroubled expectation of judgment in the power given to him to judge, in short, since such rich store of every kind of good abounds in him, Let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. What are you seeking? It's found in him. So what John is doing in this beautiful prologue is placing two creation accounts side by side. The old creation, the one that we're familiar with, Genesis 1, and a recreation account. By the spoken word of God, the universe was made. By the incarnate word of God, the universe is being remade. And what John is presenting here is the good news that there is hope for this broken and dying world. And the good news for us personally is that there's hope for your broken, my broken life as well. Jesus is the word, which means God's living voice in action, not just telling us what to do, not just telling us where to go to find it, but bringing new life and overcoming the darkness of this world by ushering in a kingdom of light, a kingdom that he has invited you to belong to and to find your recreation as well. This is the hope of the Christmas season. This is the hope of the Christmas message. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time is look at, just focus on the, the last verse of our reading this morning, found in verse 5. John 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to look at this brief passage under three headings, the first of which is this, that the light enters the darkness, Now, as Fleming Rutledge put it, Advent begins in the dark. That's why it's dark in here. And this is how John begins, and this is how really we should begin. Before we're swept up into all the lights and the choruses and the celebration of the typical holiday season, what we're called to do is first take a long, hard, honest, courageous look at the darkness of our own humanity. And just pause for just a moment and recognize that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Throughout the scriptures, darkness is a picture for us of sin, of evil, and death. Darkness is not just the absence of light. Darkness is something more. It's described as this maleficent, destructive force of evil. In fact, notice John's language here. He says darkness has not overcome it, but it's not from a failure of trying. Darkness is not just this neutral sort of thing. It's actually this, it's personified as this hostile presence that seeks to extinguish the light of the goodness of God in this world, a darkness that seeks to enslave in a dominion, a kingdom of darkness. And so it's into this sort of darkness that the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, came. 
Now, we have these sort of pictures in our mind of a cute, cuddly Jesus that's placed into a quiet Bethlehem uh, manger and, and stable and sleeping in heavenly peace. It's a very calm, a very tranquil scene for us. But the scriptures are far more honest about this scene and really far more honest about the darkness that Jesus entered into. See, we, we retell the story of the wise men coming and, and bringing gifts, but we often neglect the very next part. In the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us that as the, as the wise men come to Herod, they come to Jerusalem inquiring about this mysterious star. Herod sends them to Bethlehem and says, bring back word. But when they don't come back, what Herod does is he gets angry and he sends his troops to Bethlehem to murder every baby boy in the general age range of Jesus in order to make sure that he eliminates the threat that's found in Jesus Christ. And it forces Joseph and Mary and Jesus to escape to Egypt, illustrating for us just how this darkness seeks to overcome through violence through manipulation, through force and deceit. This is not a cute story. And if we're going to be honest, our lives are not a cute story as well. And so because the Bible is honest about darkness, it means that we can be honest about it too. We're here to begin the Advent season with a, with a hint of honesty. And it's not just honest about the darkness in this world in general. I think we're pretty convinced about that. If you're not, just turn on the news. But Advent is now personalizing this. It's calling us not just to be honest about the darkness of the world, but honest about the darkness of our own lives. Because beneath all of our Christmas cheer, we have very real hurts, very real disappointments, very real fears, and very real sin. For every selfless act of giving this year, it will be probably met with countless acts of selfishness. We'll gather this year with friends and family, but what we will discover is strife and broken relationships and contention and tension. As we gather with our friends and our family, there will be those who are missing, maybe due to broken relationships or divorce or maybe even the presence of death in our family. For all of our giving and receiving, we will recognize that there will be those who go without. We, as we feast, there will sadly be those who are starving. See, we can, we, can brighten, we can try to brighten that story up, but we know that that doesn't save and change anything. We can, try to, we can try to cheer that up, and we can try to string some lights across the darkness of our humanity, but we know that that won't bring any real-life transformation. So this is the Christmas story. That Jesus doesn't ignore the darkness, but in love he enters into it. And as we covered a few weeks ago, ultimately where we see this occurring fully, as Jesus fully entered into our darkness, was at, not in Bethlehem, not in Jerusalem, but outside the city gates in a location called Golgotha, Calvary. As Christ entered into the darkness of our humanity so that we could be welcomed into the fellowship of the light of God. Jesus was plunged into it so that we could be delivered out. The light enters the darkness. Secondly, the light shines in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. Now, what does John mean when he says that the light shines in the darkness? Well, we have the, the advantage of having the scriptures, and often the scriptures help us to interpret the scriptures. And as the writer of Hebrews states, 
He says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Throughout history, throughout human history, throughout redemptive history, there were these little flickers of light that appeared on the horizon of humanity. These little flickers of hope that redemption was coming, being spoken through human means, through prophets that spoke of this coming light like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Micah and so on. But, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. What does it mean that the light shines in the darkness? It means that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Now, now picture in your mind a magnifying glass. I'm pretty convinced that there are pretty much two age groups that keep magnifying glass, glass companies alive. Little boys under eight and people over 65. <laughs> and I remember, I probably had to repent uh, a couple times of all the senseless bug murdering I did as a young boy with a magnifying glass. But what happens when you, do it, when you take a magnifying glass outside? What does it do? It, it, con it concentrates all the rays of the sun into one fierce, hot beam of light. And this is the picture that John is giving us. Jesus Christ gathers all of the brilliance of the glory and radiance of God into one single beam of light that powerfully pierces through the darkness. This is not a trivial light. This is not a little flicker. This is the, the glory of God concentrated into one. Whenever Michelle and I have stayed at hotels, uh, she's always very adamant about the curtains being drawn. She likes to, to sleep in complete darkness. No, not, not a glimmer of light uh, coming through. And so there's always this moment in the morning when you're not, you've, you've drawn those, those blinds or those, those shades, it's, it's dark, you don't know really, you, you know the time based on the clock, but you don't know if it's light out or not. And so you open up the curtains, and even just a little crack of the curtains, that light just fills the room. Even just a small, like, crack, you're like, oh my gosh, close that, close that right now, what are you doing? And what happens is light refracts and, you know, at a pace faster than our eyes and our brains are even, even able to process it. And like a flood, it sweeps through a space to every crevice, every corner, transforming that entire space. And this, in a sense, what is what John is describing for us in the incarnation of Jesus, that the curtain of time, the curtain of this world, the, the curtain of our humanity has been cracked open. And the eternal light of God has broken in. Now, before I open those curtains, it's dark. Like running into furniture and stubbing your toe and maybe even cursing a little bit, sort of dark. Like really dark. And it's not because it's not light out, but it's because the space that I occupy, that we occupy, is closed off to it. And what this illustrates is often... This is often true of our lives. When things are dark, the failure is never found in the light of Jesus Christ. This is a light that predates our lives and will outshine our lives as well. I, gotta, I almost forgot the candle was there. I my collar. Um, 
If there's a failure to see the light, if there's darkness, it's not a failure on Jesus' part. Again, this is the eternal light. He's always been shining. He's always shining. The, 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 what was veiled has now been unveiled. And so what this means is if there is darkness, it means that most likely it's because of our unwillingness to open our lives up to him. If there's darkness in our lives, it's not because Jesus isn't bright or that he's gone away or he's disappeared, but perhaps because we're closed off. The, the, uh, the Gospel of John would go on to say this, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light why, lest his works should be exposed. What does light do? It exposes. That, that moment that the curtains are cracked, you, you, you looked pretty trim and just and, and fit in the dark, and then the light is and you're just like, oh, oh wow, okay, there's the real me. <laughs> in the shadows, the blemishes are masked. In the shadows, the sin is concealed, but the light reveals all. That's something else that comes with hotels or, or those, those sort of like retractable mirrors in the bathroom that come up real, real close and they've got the lights around it. So, you know, some mirrors say that, you know, are, are, are said to add 10 pounds. These are the mirrors that add 10 years. And you're just like, wow, I never noticed those wrinkles there. What, what does that light do? It exposes. It brings clarity to what has always been there, but something that we've been blinded to. Jesus draws us out and into the light not to shame us, not to embarrass us, not just simply to expose us and say, ha ha. Why does Jesus bring us into the light? He brings us into the light to transform us. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, and we, with unveiled face, thanks be to God, beholding the glory, the radiance, that light of the Lord Jesus Christ, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In the presence of the radiance of God in Jesus Christ, he's not just beaming. We begin to radiate. We begin to reflect that light. We begin to be changed, transformed, matured. What grows in the dark? Some of the worst things in the world, mold, fungus, those weird like mushrooms that like grow up in the middle of the night on your lawn. Like where did that thing come from? Black widows, slugs, you name something that grows in the dark that I like, and I'll give, well, there probably is something out there, but typically, typically, the things that we despise are that which grows in the dark, but we, like God's good creation, not black widows and mold, but God's good creation, we're designed to grow in the light, like a fruit tree, like the vine. We were made to grow in the light, and this is what is being described here. Today, the light of Christ is shining and now welcoming us in. And the question that we need to consider this morning is, have we opened our life up to him? Have we opened ourselves through faith to the light of Jesus Christ? Or are you, are we, those who love the dark? Are we those who are trying to navigate life in the dark? We're, we're stubbing our toes and we're running into furniture and we're frustrated and we're fearful. 
And we're just sort of stumbling through life blindly, just trying to navigate, just trying to, trying to feel our way through. Frustrated and fearful. Or maybe we're those who are battling addiction in the dark, secretly battling, trying to, to battle those demons alone. Here's the call. Here's the Advent call. Open the curtain. Open your life to him. It's not ultimately about finding yourself. That's, that's a wasted journey. It's not ultimately about fixing yourself. Good luck with that. It's not ultimately about forgiving yourself. And it's not ultimately about fighting your demons. What is it about? It's about faith. About coming into the light, walking in the light, and being transformed by this fierce, white-hot, powerful, yet loving, gentle light that is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Light enters the darkness. Light shines in the darkness. Third and finally, the light overcomes the darkness. The light overcomes the darkness. Now, I want you to notice something with me here in the text. The first five verses of John 1. Throughout the first four verses, it reads as though John is speaking in the past tense. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him. In him was life. The life, life was the light of man. But then something changes. Something radically changes in, in verse 5. It shifts from the past to the present tense. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. From the past to the present, and not just the present, but the present continue, which means not only is the light shining, but it continues to shine. The light always shines, and the light's going to keep shining, and that light won't go out. Darkness is persistent. The darkness of our humanity, the darkness of this world, it's, it's hostile. And, and life can seem like the rotation of days, that no matter how bright a day may be, there seems to be that night that's just looming, waiting to come. And we can get the sense that life is like one big yin-yang. And that in the battle between light and darkness that it's very uncertain who's going to win in the end. And if we were to be honest, we, we look around at the world and oftentimes seems like darkness is winning. We read about war, we read about famine, we read about death, we read about natural disaster, we read all these things, and it seems like darkness is winning, and in the end, darkness is going to win. But John is telling us that darkness is present. Let's be honest about that. Darkness is adamant and darkness is fierce, but it will never, ever overcome the light of Jesus Christ. And the darkness will be persistent, but the transforming light of Jesus Christ is just going to keep shining. And this is where hope is called upon this, this Advent season. This is where we need hope. This is why Jesus, this is where the scriptures call us into being a people of hope. What is hope? The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. Now hope that is seen is not hope. So that's what hope's not. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
And so what this is telling us is that hope is staring into the darkness and believing in what we may not see now. Believing that all we see is Though all we see is darkness, that there is something more, that there's something coming, that the best is yet to come, that the future is bright for those who trust. And we wait with patience. This is why it's so vital for us as a community to stare into the darkness with eyes of hope and to greet. That's what we're doing. We're posturing ourselves to greet that arriving light of Jesus Christ from afar. And to be honest, this is a light that seems at time to have flickered out after Jesus' incarnation. But this is a light that will surely radiate at Jesus' return at his second coming. And so as we begin this Advent season today, today is the official beginning of Advent, we do so with anticipation. We're first intentional to, to enter into a time of waiting again, we 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 buck against, we go against the grain of instant gratification. We say, no, 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 we're waiting for the best yet to come. And as we do so, what we're doing is we're joining a long lineage of faith and waiting. This is not just an us thing here. What we're doing is we're entering into what has been called the ancient angst of Israel as they awaited their Messiah. As year after year after year, they cried out, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And so in the spirit of anticipation, as we enter into the ancient angst of Israel waiting for her Messiah that we ultimately know is Jesus Christ, what I want to do is I want to call you, the church, to stand to your feet if you're able, and I want to read over you the prophecy of Isaiah, knowing that it has once been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And yet we're waiting for the total consummation, the total fulfillment that will come in the return of Jesus Christ. And so if you're able, please stand to your feet. Let the word of God wash over you. And then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give a moment of silence as we sit in that waiting, as we sit in that anticipation. And then we'll transition into our time of going to the Lord's Supper. Hear the words of the prophet Isaiah. Arise. Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult.